Well, good morning, everyone, again. Glad you're all here. Um, it's great to be here, and, and I'm, I'm glad each and every one of you are here, and, and if I haven't shaken your hand, I'm sorry. Sometimes I get cold out front, and I need to come in for some warm air, but um, I'm glad you're here, and, and you know, I'm glad you got up this morning. I know that some mornings it's easier to get up than other mornings, and I'm hoping and, and, and well, just thankful that you're, that you're here. Um, and if you're thankful, if you're thankful about anything, I really want you to come Tuesday night at 6.30. You heard the, the announcement there, but this Tuesday, November 20th at 6.30, we're going to have a Thanksgiving service. And the reason that I mention that now is because it really produces a lot of community among us. When we stand up publicly and say, I'm thankful for this and I'm thankful for that, and the Lord is moving in these ways, it really produces a lot of, of hope and a lot of faith and a lot of community. And there's a pie social afterwards, so it's going to be amazing. So if you're thankful about something, come. If you're thankful for nothing, come, because you will be thankful by the end of the night. I promise you that. Um, and the only thing that you won't be thankful for is if you're, if you're going through a holiday diet and you're trying to keep a, a diet, that the, the pie social is going to kill the diet. So come on in, eat too much pie, and, and let's talk about what you're thankful for. Um, we are going through a series called What Ails You, and we're in the second week of What Ails You, and, and there are certain things, you know, that make us sick, and we've talked a little bit about this, um, uh, certain things that make us sick spiritually, and we can go through um, um, all kinds of different struggles or different um, uh, things that ail us, and so that's what this series is about, and there, these are things that we need to talk about, um, and some of them are uncomfortable, and I'm sorry about that, um, but it's way harder for me to talk about them than for you guys just to listen to them, so it's good, it's good. Um, and some of them are, are just common that we just need to bring up and we need to pray about. These are the type of things that I would love for you to bring up in a life group scenario and say, hey, I'm struggling with this, or this thing has me down, or I'm struggling with fear or anxiety or whatever. And that group can pray for you and can talk you through it. These things are the kind of things that you will bring up to a family member and say, you know, I am really intimidated by my boss, and it's just it's producing a lot of fear in my life. What do I do about that? Those kinds of things is what this series is about. And, and, and this week, the second week, is a really, really good thing that we need to talk about. It's something that we need to bring out in the open, and I'm excited uh, to talk about it. So let's talk. We're going to talk. It's going to be great. But before we talk, let's talk to the Lord. I think we should do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be here this morning, to be in, in, um, in, together in community, but in your presence. Because you say, Lord, that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you are there also. And, and we're here and we're gathered in your name. So, Lord, thanks for being here with us. I ask, God, that you would move us, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us. And, Lord, that we would fall deeper in love with you this morning. Than we, than we felt this, the, earlier this morning or that we felt yesterday, that, that this would deepen our journey of faith and we would um, love you more leaving this place this morning. Lord, we love you. And, and God, that, that sometimes is a scary thing because we don't really know what it means when we step out in faith. But God, we trust you and we ask that you would move this church and you would move these people to, to deeper faith and more passionate love for the community. We love you, Jesus, in your name, amen. You know, technology makes it so much easier to communicate than ever before. You, you probably know this, but a, a couple touches of a button on your phone and you can send a text message around the world. Um, a couple of more button pushes and, and, and you could be on social media and see what all your high school friends are doing, whether you wanted to know or not, you're going to see it, right? So that's what Facebook's all about. 
Um, with a couple more uh, clicks of buttons, you can actually see someone's face and talk to them in, in, say, China or something. This is the world that we live in. This technology makes it so easy to connect. And you know what's funny is I don't even use buttons anymore. I don't even really know what a button is. Like, my phone doesn't really have buttons. It just has a little space that acts like a button. And I talk to Siri. I don't know if you guys do this, but I'm so lazy that I can't even do this or, or even this. I just, I just say, hey, Siri, because she's listening all the time. That's very creepy, by the way. Very creepy. But I, but I just dive in. I say, hey, Siri, what's my next meeting? And Siri will say, oh, you have no memory, you no ability to remember anything, so let me tell you, in 30 minutes, you're going to meet with someone. So, oh, okay, great, thank you. Hey, Siri, would you send a text message to my wife saying I'm on my way home? And she says, yes, I will, and it goes out. And this is the world that we live in. We can, we can literally command technology with our voices. I can't wait till I say, hey, Siri, will you make my car come pick me up? Someday that's going to happen. That's going to happen. But it's so important that we know something that's going on in our world. And as we get closer to the holidays, into the holiday season, this thing is a big, big deal. You may know this, you may not, but loneliness is one of the fastest growing epidemics in our country. Did you know that? In, in fact, it's facing pandemic proportions across the world. And maybe you're affected by loneliness. Maybe you're sitting in the seat you're in right now feeling totally and utterly alone. And if that's you, I am so sorry. We can help. And, and maybe you're sitting there going, no, loneliness isn't really a big part of my life. I know other people struggle with it, but I don't. This is some information that you need to know about. So we're talking about loneliness this morning because loneliness ails us. It affects us and it hurts us, not only individually, but as a society. And I'm going to read to you a study, according to an article in Psychology Today, this study was just published in July of this year, so it's pretty current. According to the study, loneliness is growing. I'm going to uh, quote um, a couple things here. So, in the last 50 years, rates of loneliness have doubled in the United States. Doubled. In a survey over 20,000 American adults, it was found that almost half of the respondents report, reported feeling alone, left out, and isolated. This is life right now. This is crazy. Further, one in four Americans shared that they are rarely, that they rarely feel understood, and one in five people believe they rarely or never feel close to other people. What is happening? People feel this way. And it's, it's horrible. This, this article goes on, and you can see it at uh, psychologytoday.com. I don't condone all the things on that site, just saying this article, it's a good one. Um, it goes, that article goes on to say loneliness has been associated with cardiovascular problems and premature death. Lonelier individuals are less likely to achieve quality sleep. Lonely individuals experience reductions in reasoning and creativity. In, in addition to these reduced abilities, loneliness affects the workplace productivity. Lonely individuals report less job satisfaction and are more likely to face unemployment. Loneliness is commonly correlated with mental health concerns such as anxiety, depression, and suicide. And similarly, loneliness is often associated with poor coping mechanisms. So once you get lonely, it's almost impossible to get out, or it feels that way, such as compulsive technology use, hitting Facebook a little too much, smoking, and self-harm. We're facing an epidemic in our world, and it's everywhere. It gets worse. As it turns out, loneliness doesn't discriminate. <laughs> it doesn't discriminate. Doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your race, 
doesn't matter your ethnicity, doesn't even matter your geographical location. The study was across all of those. So as a people, as a group, we are dying literally of loneliness. And it's a silent killer. Our world is reeling from this pandemic and no one knows what to do about it. We got technology at our fingertips. Not even our fingertips anymore. I, I shouldn't even say that anymore. At, our, at our, the command of our voice to connect. It's easier and easier and easier to connect. But some, for some reason, loneliness is growing. So let's talk about it. Let's figure this out together. In fact, let's figure it out today. Because I think we have the answer, and I think you all might know what that answer is. And then you could say, what did you do today? Oh, we, we solved loneliness today. Someone actually solved loneliness for us today. The interesting thing is that Jesus was a man who knew all about loneliness. And maybe you don't think of him that way because he always has his posse with him. He always has his crew, right, following his disciples or everywhere he goes. So those are the stories, right? So how was Jesus alone? Well, I want to read to you a passage this morning, and this was a prophecy written about Jesus hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born. But this prophecy is from, written from the, the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah 53.3, this is what it says. So we'll have to put the words up on the back there. Isaiah says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Wow. People weren't, weren't even fake with him. They were so real with him. It was a very, very lonely life. And, and maybe you think of him that way, maybe you don't. But Jesus, in case you didn't know, didn't have sin in his life. And he was clean, he was pure, and this is what he needed to be in order to be the sacrificial lamb. And so he walked this earth in a pure way. And that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound wonderful? Well, think of it this way. He had no sin, but his parents did, right? His siblings did, his rabbi did that he grew up with, right? His neighbors did, his childhood friends did, his acquaintances did, even his disciples struggled with sin, and that means that everyone he knew and knew him had struggles, thoughts, motives, secrets, worries, anxieties, and fears because of sin. And he didn't. Now that sounds wonderful. And I am so thankful that Jesus was without sin, but it made him different. It made him very different. In a way, he was alone because he was pure. No one really understood him. No one understood him on earth. No one could really relate to him. All but one. There is one person that understood him. The only one he had that knew him and understood him was his father. Was his heavenly father. The only true community he knew was the Trinity. And you start to put these pieces together and you go, no wonder he would run off to quiet places every chance he could because he was the only one who knew him. He was the only one who understood him. He could go talk to the father, and the father goes, I know exactly what you're feeling. 
And these people don't. One day they will, but they don't right now. But as Jesus marched closer and closer to the cross, he had to have a recurring thought in his head. The inevitable was about to happen. And you have this lonely man that no one knew completely. No one understood. And the one person that understood him was about to reject him at the cross. And that's what Jesus went through. Utter and complete rejection. Matthew 27, 46, the pinnacle of Jesus' loneliness. About three in the afternoon, Jesus is on the cross and he cries out in a loud voice, Eliah, Eliah, lemma sabbatahani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The pinnacle of loneliness. Being someone that no one understood but one, and having that one reject you for something that you didn't do must have been unbearable. But the story turns at this point, and the news gets good. It gets really, really good. There's a reason why this man walked in a way alone. And was forsaken by the one person that knew him, the Lord. He did it for you. And he did it for me. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why he did it. That's why he walked this lonely path. That's why he chose to be rejected by the only one who understood him, for you. And the point is driven even home further in Ephesians 2.19. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners. You're no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So Jesus walked this lonely path so that you don't have to. He walked this lonely path and was utterly rejected by his father and died on the cross so that we could have a family. So that he, we could be invited into his family and never feel alone again. You were lonely and now you are not. You were not a part of a family, and now you are when you put your faith in Jesus' good news, his gospel. That's incredible news. And we have benefited, and we will benefit for eternity because of that. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, suffered loneliness so that we don't have to. He was alone and rejected so that we can have communal fulfillment. We can have a communal life and live it to the fullest. That's why he did it. That is incredible. But here's the deal. <laughs> you know there's always a deal, right? Here's the deal. When we only focus on our benefit, 
for what God has done for us, we run the risk, and you guys, it's so slippery. It's a slippery slope. We run the risk of getting self-focused. We get self-absorbed. And I think this is maybe one of the reasons why Christians across the world really struggle with this. Because it starts to dawn on us what has happened to us. And it's overwhelming. Jesus did that for me? And we want to sit there. And we want to meditate on what he did for me. And it's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's going it's to make me alive in heaven one day. But if we stop there, we get so self-absorbed and self-focused that we can't break out of it. And many think, many of us think, hey, we just give those people out there Jesus and they'll find what we find. They'll be fine. In fact, it's kind of a, a catchphrase. Like somebody yells at you and you go, oh, you need Jesus. <laughs> right? You need Jesus. It's like this, you need to get right. But I think we've misunderstood how we give Jesus how we present the gospel. And for, for many years, we've thought this is information and only information. We're in the information age. Man, I could just send somebody an email and they should be able to receive Christ, right? And they would understand. They would understand with their mind that Jesus died for them. And they would be able to believe and, and they would have eternal life and Jesus would be in them. Yes. But I don't think it was ever intended to be shared that way going out on a limb here. Ooh, I can't believe he just said that. I think the way Jesus intended his good news to be given is inside the vessel that's benefiting from that good news. That's us. You see, the way that we give Jesus shouldn't just be a bunch of information out there and impersonal. It should be me. I give you my lonely new friend me. And Jesus is inside me. And so not only do you get eternal life and you get connection with the Father and you get all these wonderful things and you get to go to heaven someday, but right now you get me. And I get you. And now we're together in this family. And we're never going to forsake each other. We're never going to separate. We're always going to be together. That's the hope. That's the plan. This is the way Jesus intended to be given, is in the vessel that Jesus dwells. That's why we have the solution to this very, very real epidemic called loneliness. We don't just have Jesus. We have Jesus. But we have us that has Jesus. And that's the solution to loneliness right here, right now on earth. Because we could send out a mass email to every email address known to the world, right? And we could say, hey, Jesus saves. John 3, 16, go. And maybe that would produce believers. And, and God is good that way, and sometimes that works. But with loneliness, we give us. And that's the solution. We are inviting the lonely into a Jesus-centered community. A very imperfect one. One where we always are arguing and bickering and fighting with each other. But we are bonded together by Jesus' death, life, death, and resurrection. And we talk a lot in this place. I talk a lot, and I hear you talking a lot in this place at Grace Chapel about being known, valued, and loved. Now, I can't talk about loneliness 
without talking about being known, valued, and loved. And it's true that being known, valued, and loved is such a good thing. But I'll tell you what. It is absolutely stunted if it's all you focus on is being known, valued, and loved. You see, there's a response to being known, valued, and loved. And it's not, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful. That's, the, that's, that's great. We need to be thankful. But there's an active response to it. And I want you to take this phrase with you this morning when we leave. Here it is. To battle loneliness, we must go beyond being known, valued, and loved. And we must follow Jesus' example and know value and love. We need to give ourselves to this loneliness pandemic that faces us. And as we do that, we invite very, very imperfect people into our little family. And we have to make adjustments, and we have to forgive, and, and it gets tough, and people say things, and it's awkward, and we're not really sure, and, uh, is this right? It just feels weird. But that's the journey that we're on, and that's the challenge that God has, fa- has, has challenged us with. This is so important for us as a church to know. And if we refuse to get past the benefit part, we will become self-absorbed and compliant. That's the risk. And when that happens, when you can't get past the point that this is all about you and the, and the gift that you've received, this is what happens. And I've been there before, and I'll probably be there again. We start to focus on our preferences and opinions so much that we can never be wrong that arguments really start to get weird and backbiting, right? And it's all about what I want and what I have to have. And then when we look outside, there's, a, there's an epidemic happening out there called loneliness, and people are dying to get in here and be known, valued, and loved. It's such a slippery slope, and we're so good at convincing ourselves that everything is fine, when there's a growing pandemic outside. And it affects our church, it affects our families, it affects our neighborhoods, it affects our schools. Remember, no age discrimination. Children are facing this. Children in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our schools today are alone. Man, I can't wait to when God makes that right. If we face this head on and we unite under this banner of the gospel, if you go with me and commit to the idea that we have the solution to loneliness, things can be different. (laughs) Things can be really, really different. And I'll tell you, buckle up, it's going to get real weird the more people that we connect with on this level, they affect us and they, we affect them and, and these relationships are hard to navigate and it's uncomfortable and, and people say things and share things and it gets strange, right? But if we commit to it, if we all get behind the idea, we must give ourselves up as vessels for the gospel, we can start getting really good at knowing, valuing, and loving others. And it's not just a switch. You don't just go, okay, great, I'm going to do it, and it's done. It's really hard. 
and, and it's actually like a talent you can develop. <laughs> How well can you get to know other people? What tools do you have in your toolbox to get to know other people? But if we start, and we start getting good at it, we can take this place by storm. And Jesus' gospel will spread like wildfire. And everywhere we go, Jesus will impact those around us because he's that good and he's that powerful. In Clifton Park, I can just imagine it. Clifton Park can be seen as a beacon on a hill where love lives. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Now, we've been making some changes around here. We've made some changes around here, and, and for some, that's, that's tough. It's tough to swallow when you've been used to a thing a certain way for a long time. And I know there's some that, that think that maybe Josh just wants to build a seeker-friendly worship experience, right? A, a show, a Sunday morning show. And I'm here to tell you that I don't care what we call it as long as people are growing in their ability to know, value, and love, and they are being known, valued, and loved in the name of Jesus. Connecting, feeling known, valued, and loved, and then turning around and knowing and valuing, loving those around. I don't want to build a show, you guys. I don't want that. And I can tell you the Holy Spirit doesn't want that. The Holy Spirit is, is calling us and leading us and helping us develop a thriving community that is on one mission, following and witnessing the Holy Spirit transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit wants. And that's what I want. I know that's what you guys want. And we are on our way. We have made strides you want to talk about strides, look at the last 20 years in this place. Step after step after step of the Spirit moving and connections are made. The Spirit moves and more connections are made. I want to launch into chapter 2 and I want to make more connections and I want to hold high the banner of community. So if you're with me, if you're with me, let's face loneliness together. I want to look at it in the face and I want to say, not here, not now, not ever. I will not be satisfied until every child and every adult is known, valued, and loved. The cool thing is, is there's a way we can attack this thing. There's a way to do this we can do this. This isn't some ethereal thing that it's like, okay, well, let's go out and spread the gospel in a real ambiguous way and hope it works, right? Well, there's a way. There's an actual process and a way that we can do this. And, and this gets me excited because a lot of times I preach messages that don't really have a clear application, right? This one does. I got an application. It's great. I'm excited. You guys ready? Slide 13. You must join a life group. You guys knew I was going to say that, didn't you? You knew. I knew you knew. Even though one of our goals for Sunday is community, your community will be limited if this is it. Because it's so limited in time. And no matter what we do on a Sunday morning, we're never going to really dig our teeth in or sink our teeth into being known, valued, and loved. 
Sunday morning can help, and I really want it to, but it can't be the flagship of community. Community has to be spent in living rooms, around each other's kitchen tables going, what's going on with you? Are you okay? Having to, being able to ask those kind of questions. It's the best way to start our journey to know, value, and love others. But here's the trick. I don't want you, want you just to join one. I want you to join a life group with the sole intention of knowing, valuing, and loving others. That's the motivation for you to join a life group. If you join a life group with the sole intention of being known, valued, and loved, you, you will get some of that good stuff, and it'll be great, but you will eventually be disappointed. And you're going to walk away from the, the life group experience going, man, I thought they were going to know, value, and love me, but they didn't. <laughs> they didn't ask me any questions. I wanted to share my life story, and nobody wanted to hear it, right? Maybe you wouldn't put it into words, but you would feel that, if that's the reason. You have to join in these things with the intention of knowing those people. You have to join a life group with the intention of knowing, valuing, loving those. And this is why being a facilitator, man, you guys are getting me fired up. This is why being a facilitator of a life group is so much different than being a teacher. Okay, and a lot of people confuse these two things. And Connie Blaycock works really hard at our adult Bible classes on Sunday morning, and we had some awesome success this year. And we have another awesome lineup ready for the spring. Okay, it's going to be great. And in, in a class like that, a teacher stands up, and they say, hey, we've got a lesson. I'm going to prepare these things. There's dialogue. There's all these kind of learning tools. The, the goal, however, is to teach, is to learn, is to grow in your understanding. A really close secondary goal is to build community, right? You go, you go study the book of Revelation with somebody, you're going to know them. <laughs> you're going to get to know them. So you have a, a goal of, of teaching, of learning, of growing, and then you have a secondary goal of connecting and of, and of developing community. And that's why those things are amazing. But a life group is different. A facilitator is mission. Their, their mission and purpose is to create an environment where community grows and forms. And you can use curriculum for that. You can use the book of the Bible for that. You can do all kinds of tools for that. But it's a different goal. And, and you can learn in a life group. You can learn a lot of stuff, but that's a secondary goal. Now, maybe you're like, great, Josh, you're preaching to the choir. Most of us are in a life group already. Well, don't worry. I didn't forget about you. If you're in a life group already, your new mission is to see how well you can get to know those around you. That's your new mission, okay? We'll, we'll call it out-questioning everybody, Right? How many, how well can you question those, not, not in that way, how well can you ask questions to those around you? How well can you get people to share what they're doing? If you're in a life group and you've been in a life group for a while, here's a really cool idea. Listen to this. You've been in a life group for like 10 years, right? Why don't you pray as a life group to plant another life group? Just like we plant churches. Some churches plant other churches. Say, I want to take one, maybe two of us, and go plant another group. We'll pray for you. We'll support you. We'll do all this kind of stuff. You can even meet with us. Different day of the week, go plant another one and see what happens. There's nothing wrong with staying connected to your, your life group. That you, you become really good friends. You've met for, for many years together. Consider starting another one and grow it from there. Maybe in that one, you invite your neighbors and your coworkers. And in this one, you have your church friends, right? 
Be creative with it. Join a life group and join one with the intention of knowing and valuing those around you. We're faced with a pandemic. And I get really excited about talking about the solution. But our world's dying around us. And many of you are dying from the inside out. You've got thoughts, you've got fears, you've got anxiety that you, don't, you can't seem to share with anyone. And you come in on a Sunday morning, everybody seems too happy. <laughs> Everything's fine, just fine. But underneath it's not. This is the way we face the loneliness pandemic that's killing our world. Is we dare to ask the question, no really, how are you? I want to know. And it can't stop with the excuse. And sometimes we use this as an excuse. I'll just pray for you. Oh, I'll pray for that. No, I need to talk more. I want to know why you feel that way. I want to know what led to you feeling that way. And I want to know what it feels like to not feel that way anymore. And I want to pray with you right now. <laughs> Let's get through this together. Let's face loneliness. And we have to go beyond being known, valued, and loved. And we must follow Jesus' example and know, value, and love others. Let's pray. Jesus, you are such a good God, and you have given us a solution to one of the largest struggles that we face, loneliness. And God, first of all, I would ask you, if there's anyone in this room, and according to our statistics, there are, if there's anyone in this room who is sitting there crying out and saying, that's me, I'm lonely, I don't know what to do. God, I ask that you would stir in them to say something to someone. I battle this and I don't know what to do about it. God, I ask as a church that we would be prepared to receive with open arms anyone and everyone who's struggling with this you would give us supernatural strength and wisdom and courage and, and power because this is hard to deal with. Lord, I ask that we would give ourselves with you inside us to those people that are outside there dying. Maybe they're not even outside. Maybe they're right here. Lord, I ask that this morning would start the journey for many of these people that are lonely, of digging out of this pit and really feeling understood. And God, I think about this thankfulness service we have coming up. Lord, I ask that you would move there as well. That we as a church would start to, to connect with, the, with people that are struggling. We love you and we thank you so much for bearing the cross of loneliness for our sake so that we could be part of this family. Thank you for that gift, Lord. But help us not to be so focused on it that we forget that there's those around us who need it. We love you, Jesus, in your name.